Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Greg. We're from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, and we are coming to you either on your normal podcast platform or on YouTube straight from my clothes closet because... Someday. <laughs> someday we'll get our office set up. Someday. Yes, and we are coming to you today from allergy season. And oh my so goodness. Rebecca's dying, and we are going to try to get through some of these questions without herself destructing. Yeah. So on to Love, Honor, and Vacuum, we like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure, not just a giant to-do list. And we have a bunch of questions this week that we thought we would tackle about getting married, deciding to get married, dating time, and things like that. And our first question is kind of a different one. This is from someone who's asking, what do you do when someone you love is about to make a really bad decision? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we've all been there. Whether it's they're going to marry someone that you don't think is great, they're getting married at a bad time in life, they're about to go into major debt at a post-secondary school, which isn't going to be able to get them a job, you know, that kind of thing. So we've all been there. And here's what he said. He's writing to us from Australia. And he says, my 17-year-old Christian niece who lives in the U.S. is engaged to be married. Her parents and his parents are very supportive of this marriage. My niece has been homeschooled and lives on a farm and has had a rather sheltered upbringing in a loving but strict Christian home. She is in love and can't wait to marry and set up home with her fiancé. Her pastor is willing to provide some pre-marriage counseling prior to their nuptials. Extended family members are concerned due to her youth. Due to this fact, she has stopped discussing her plans with them. She has told me, but as an uncle who lives around the world from her, I'm hampered on how much advice I can give her or how much I can help. What materials or books can you recommend that would be helpful to this young woman and her fiancé and that would help prepare them for what lies ahead? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a tough one. Yeah. Let's deal with the last part of his question first about what materials we have. Yep. So we do have one thing that I just want to talk about quickly and then get it out of the way. And that is our awesome honeymoon prep course. The uh, honeymoon prep course we made to help you have those difficult conversations before you get married and also have some of the not so difficult ones about that can be awkward. Yes. Especially if you're someone who's incredibly sheltered and has a lack of experience in the whole sex yes. area. Or just two, two people who have decided to wait until marriage. And it's hard to have these conversations when you haven't really been sexual together. Right. Um, and it's, it's not that to. we think that you should be. No. But but you do need to be able to talk about this stuff. And we've also got in that course the one thing that will make the biggest difference in your sex life going forward that yeah. most people don't know about the honeymoon night. And exactly. so get that. It helps you talk about contraception, if you're going to use it or not, but talk through those issues, talk through any baggage, et cetera, et cetera. And it also has you do conversations where even if the whole sex part of your relationship is actually totally fine when you get married don't have any issues in that area at all it still helps you have conversations about how to talk about hard things mm-hmm. and how to make wise decisions and so it, it can be helpful even if you're just worried that someone's a little bit too inexperienced to really make yeah. this life yeah. commitment it kind of can help you have those conversations that make you have some mature adult conversations around these issues so it can help in that area too yeah and of course good girl's guide to great sex of wonderful course. book to read if you are a woman about to get married, everything you want to know about sex and how God made it, mm-hmm. etc. A wonderful book, one of my favorites. Okay, so that's the materials part. Now I want to get to the heart of the question, which is, what do you do when someone you love is making what you think is not a wise decision? Yeah. And I think we've all been there. And this is a really tough thing, because if someone's decided to do something, 
you actually can't do very much about it. No, especially when they're an adult and they have their parents' support. Yes. Like, and this would be also different if this is a 19-year-old who had run away from home and was getting married and neither of the parents were happy and they were like, what's happening? Yeah. But it seems like everyone in their close circle is very supportive. Yeah. And honestly, one of the most difficult things that we need to realize is that we cannot control someone else or we can't change someone else's behavior or choices as no. much as we might want to. And so... What you want to think about is how can I keep this relationship open and strong so that if things self-destruct, they still know that they can come to you. Exactly. And one of the best things that you can do in the situation is tell yourself, because you have no control over what this person does, Mm -hmm. you will give them the benefit of the doubt at every single moment until they give you a reason to not. Mm-hmm. If the only reason you think that she shouldn't get married to this guy is that she's 19 and hasn't had a ton oh, of... Oh, she's experience. 17. Oh, she's 17. Yeah. Oh, I thought she was already an adult. No. Okay, that's concerning. That's, yeah. like, illegal in some countries. <laughs> um, yeah, but okay, like, if, if the only reason, though, that you're not comfortable with something is that you don't agree with the life choice because you did something differently. Like, mm-hmm. okay, in this case, if she's 17, that's different. But mm-hmm. give them the benefit of the doubt. Assume, well, then they must be a very, very mature 18, 19-year-old couple. And be, mm-hmm. wow, how wonderful that they're so mature. And then if they start acting incredibly immature, mm-hmm. then you can start saying, okay, they're less mature. But always giving them the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. can make the relationship less stressed Because they know that you aren't constantly looking at them thinking, ugh, Mm -hmm. what are they doing? People are not dumb. Like, if you don't agree with what someone's doing, they they sense it. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to be a safe place for them, frankly, you need to be their biggest cheerleader until they give you reasons not to be. Yeah. Because too often it goes the other way, right? We're so quick to assume everyone's doing everything wrong in our personal life. And then we realize, oh, it was all okay. And it's... Mm-hmm. That can that can be problematic. And you know, I I know where I know where he's coming from. There are yeah. some concerning practices in some of the more fundamentalist movements yeah. in Christianity in the that U.S. That is an understatement. And, and and especially the fact that it's a niece and not a nephew, because a lot of these very sheltered communities, it, life is very difficult for women. Yeah. Because there is this idea that she needs to obey her husband. She's not supposed to have any form of education or work. And then if he ends up being abusive or life just doesn't work out or he can't provide for her and isn't interested in providing for her, then she's really stuck. And so I, I, I totally get where he's coming from and I would have I would have some concerns too. But I think I think yeah, giving them the benefit of the doubt, telling them that you love them, that no matter what happens, they always have a home with yeah. you is, is a good idea. Although you are on the other side of the world, but maybe that's just what she needs exactly. to move to the other side of the world. I think when it gets confusing is when this is your child. Like he's talking about a, an extended family member on the other side of the world. But when it's your child who's about to make a really what you think is a bad decision. How do you deal with that without breaking off the relationship? And I think it's okay for parents to speak into their kids' lives. Oh, totally. I do. But what I would recommend is that you do it once. Like you say, okay, I have some concerns and I would like to sit down with you tonight and share those concerns and then I'm going to leave it with you. Yeah. And then lay it all out on the table, but say it once. (laughs) And then after that, like you said, give them the benefit of the doubt and treat them like a person who's capable of making their own decisions. Yeah, and then the conversation only ever comes up if your child is the one who brings it up. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, if you say, I'm concerned because you're dating someone who X, Y, Z, 
Yeah. Then your child comes up later, like, in a month and says, what did you mean by why? Yeah. Then, of course, you can talk about it, but just not every single time you see him. So, you know, we talked about X, Y, and Z. How are they doing with X, Y, and Z? Just making sure they're okay with X, Y, and Z, because I thought they were doing okay with X, but then I saw <laughs> on their Facebook feed that they did X on Facebook. So, so then, <laughs> you, do you see the difference? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. If you want to keep that relationship, then you need to show them that that you are going to support their decisions. And that's difficult. And I think that people don't understand what support means. Um, Mm -hmm. Support doesn't mean you have to agree, but it does mean you show them respect. Yes. You show them respect that they're an adult, they can make their own decisions, and that them making decisions does not mean that they will lose you. Right. And that does mean you don't get to be super angry and judgy every single time you see the person you don't like that your child married or yes. is dating. Yes. That is just yes. what that means. And that's really the definition of boundaries. We often think of boundaries as being something that we need to erect so that other people respect our choices. But boundaries also means that you respect other people's choices. Yeah. And I and I do want to be clear. Like if, if the reason you don't like someone is because they're hurting you. If your child was marrying someone or dating someone who was actually actively causing harm to your family then then that might mean that like if you're with this person we can't see you when Mm -hmm. he's around or when Mm -hmm. she's around that may mean what that means but like if it's just i don't think he's mature enough for you yeah or i don't think he's a christian and you are exactly that's a big one or he has quite the past yeah anything that isn't yeah he actively like harms or abuses members of our family Mm -hmm. if your child makes a decision that you don't like you don't then get to choose to simply act like you don't have a child anymore mm-hmm. or you don't get to choose to not like your child because you just think that they could do better you chose to have a child your child is not a choice anymore yeah you have one mm-hmm. you are a parent mm-hmm. and if a child makes a decision that you don't like but it's not actively harming you and making you angry or frustrated or sad is not actively harming you abuse is harmful and there are other things that can be harmful and it might mean that you say I can't I can't be around your significant other because they're just too you know maybe vile language Mm -hmm. just honestly too much because for some people who are very sensitive yeah I do think if someone's not willing to bend at all you don't have to put yourself in something that causes you psychological discomfort you know if someone's not respecting your boundaries you can say I I really want to be part of your life this person is just really hurting me Mm -hmm. but you don't get to choose not to see your child Right. And I do think, too, that often the reason that parents cut their kids out of their lives that I've seen anyway in Christian circles is because their child decides either to walk away from the faith or to have a different expression of the faith. Yeah. And you interpret that as them abandoning you. Yeah. And they haven't, you know, quite often they they just start making different choices in their lives. And that doesn't mean they're not going to come back or just because someone leaves your denomination and goes to a different denomination does not mean they're abandoning Jesus either. And that's something you found a lot in your interviews for your book, Why I Didn't Rebel, was (laughs) that the parents who were the most adamant that you can only go to our church or nothing else were the ones that often had kids who walked away. Yeah, totally. Because they were in churches that were incredibly fundamentalist and believed you either go to our church or you don't yeah. believe in God. Whereas other people who went to more churches with a more nuanced understanding of, hey, it's about Jesus, mm-hmm. not the name of your building. Yeah. You know, had a healthier view of who God was in the beginning. And so their kids also grew up with a healthier view of God. And yeah. for a lot of kids who grew up in more fundamental circles, it was finding different denominations that actually were more willing to talk about these hard topics and have, a, again, a nuanced discussion came back to the faith and they found that. Yeah. And they found Jesus. 
is what well, they felt. They didn't come back to the faith. They actually came to the faith for the first time. Right, because they found Jesus. So that's important too. So please don't abandon your child just because your child decides to go to a different church or even walks away from the faith because yes. you still need to bear that influence. One more thing. <laughs> Speaking of kids walking away from the faith, there's been so many people in my life that I have prayed for because you really want them to know Jesus. And that's a really tough thing when they don't. And when your child walks away from the faith, they're not going to listen to you. They really aren't. And one thing that I've done is I have prayed for those people that I want to find Jesus. I've prayed that God will put others in their life that will talk to them and that will breathe into their lives because sometimes it's easier to hear it from someone else. But if you're going to pray for God to put other people in your child's life or whoever else you're praying for, then you be that person for someone else. Because chances are there are people in your circle who have walked away from the faith or who never met Jesus in the first place who need to hear and they have a family member who's praying for them. And so you be that person for someone else just as you are praying for someone else to be that person for your family member. All right, another question. This one is also from a guy, but this time it's about his relationship. He says, we have known each other for five years and we've been dating for a few months. We love God and he's been the center of our friendship and our relationship. We know that this is what God has called us to and we are planning getting engaged soon and married within the year. My question comes from one of our many great talks. We knew that we would have to talk about our past at some point before we got engaged. And after much prayer and thinking, I told her mine. I opened up and told her more about my porn problem, my history about being sexually abused as a young child and how this has impacted me. Now it feels awkward. At first it was awesome because it was just the two of us talking and having fun, but now pretty much every conversation has this serious side, which is good, but it's also really exhausting. And another thing is that she said that our relationship is going too slowly. This made me think that I don't think she understands what I've done over the last few months in terms of letting her be a part of my personal life and telling her some really personal things. I don't know how to communicate that in such a way that I don't use my history as an excuse or tell her to slow down. Yeah. So here's a guy who has really opened up for the probably for the first time with someone else about his struggles with pornography and the fact that he's been sexually abused as a child. And for a lot of people, that's huge. Yeah. Like, that is really huge. Let's remember, we think of sexual abuse as being a female problem. But really, I think it's between one in five and one in six boys have also been sexually abused as children. And so, so a lot of guys, this is their story. And and guys often carry a lot more shame than girls do. Not that girls don't also carry but, shame. Rather than a lot more, even more. Even more, yes. Even more yeah. shame because it's just so difficult to talk about as a guy. So here's someone who has opened up. And of course, the process of opening up also tends to re-trigger our trauma. So that's probably been a difficult experience. And now she wants to keep talking about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we could discuss that. <laughs> and first of all, like, we just want to give absolute props to this guy for being yes. honest and open before the engagement, mm -hmm. kind of letting her go in with all the information. And actually, you know, it's funny, in our honeymoon prep course, we actually have videos on how to disclose about both porn use and how to disclose about sexual abuse, because... If those are your history or your present, you do need to tell the person before yep. you get married. It's just good to start a marriage with honesty. That's all. Yeah. And you it know? can, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get married or that you can't no. get married if it's a uh, sexual abuse. If it's a porn problem, please deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> but if there's sexual abuse in your past, doesn't mean that you can't get married, but they do need to know just so they can be more sensitive. Yeah. And if you're listening and you are married and you haven't disclosed something, just tell them. 
You know, the longer you don't tell your spouse, the Mm -hmm. longer it's going to be that you didn't tell your spouse. Mm -hmm. If you need to talk to a counselor to do it, do that. But just, that's a quick little aside. Please just disclose. Yes. Yes. So props to this guy for disclosing. And I just, I just want to say something here to some of the women listening, because I can kind of understand where she's coming from. Because she's totally in love with this guy. They've known each other for a long time. And now they're dating and they're working towards marriage. And that might sound like, well, they've only been dating for a few months. And now they're talking about getting married. But it sounds a lot like my daughter Katie's story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Katie and her husband David knew each other for years. And then David really, really pursued her. And she was trying to figure out what to do. And because she knew that as soon as I start dating him, we're getting married. Yeah. Because they already were so close as friends. And when you start, and you guys did that too, when you and Connor started dating. Well, we were just, well, we'd only known each other for a few months when we started dating. It was more that we didn't, both of us were, (laughs) both of us assumed that this had probably had a 50-50 chance Uh that we'd get married or we wouldn't. Yeah. And then within like three weeks, we're like, yeah, we're pretty sure. Yeah. We're pretty sure. But we were, we were an, uh, an anomaly, I think. Yeah. But David and Katie, because they'd known each other so long, that as soon as you start dating, you're like, let's just get married. Like, let's let's do this we know that this is what's going to happen yeah. and katie and david had a lot of you know conversations about everything they put everything under the table they worked through everything not that i'm not that doesn't mean they have huge things to work through i don't i don't mean that but i, I just mean they had a lot of those conversations they got married things were great but exactly. it did move very quickly and so she's like this is great i know all about you i'm willing to support you i'm going to make this all better and we're going to get married and i would just say to her <laughs> you can be sure that this is the person you're going to marry. But in the long run, an extra five or six months doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's better to give your partner the space that they need to make sure that they have had enough healing Mm -hmm. to make sure that they feel equipped to go into marriage, to Mm -hmm. make sure that they feel like they're not being rushed. Yeah. Especially when they have like a history of anything, really. Right. Right. Especially when they have any sort of kind of trauma in their past, just... Being patient is really important, and that's part of being with someone, especially who has trauma. And I I get concerned when I read that, because I don't know in what universe a couple of months is too slow. Like, they're talking about getting married within a a year of dating. That is not slow. No. Um, That is not slow. And the fact that she seems to be kind of trying to rush him through all these conversations so they can just get married already, Mm -hmm. to me feels a little bit like she may not understand how sexual abuse can affect guys too. Mm -hmm. If I were talking to them in real life, like in person, I would just say, you know, it might be a good idea to see a counselor together Mm -hmm. so that you know she knows what that means. Mm -hmm. Because I think that a lot of girls have this idea too that, but if, if I just love him and if we get married and if he has like a healthy sex life then all these problems will go away and he won't have this issue anymore and uh, that's that doesn't work that way that's not how it works and a lot of girls have read a lot of romance novels where that is how it works yes and so let's just make sure that there's actually an understanding of abuse and the fact that him, him telling her take something out of him. And so when she constantly dredges this back up, mm-hmm. it's unnecessary and it's unkind. Mm-hmm. It's unnecessary and it's unkind. Yeah. You know, he was honest and open with her, it sounds like. It is unkind to continuously bring up someone's trauma mm-hmm. when the only reason to do so is to get your what you want out of it. Yeah. And 
remember that part of healing from trauma is understanding that trauma doesn't define you. Yeah. That what someone else did does not define who you are. When you continually bring it up, you're almost treating him like it does define who he is. Like if you start seeing, and I, I read a shorter version of this of this letter, but, but it was it was quite a bit longer. If, if she starts seeing every negative thing that happens in terms of the trauma, then she's kind of defining him that way. So I think what's important here is to see a licensed counselor yep. who's trauma informed. There's some great evidence based therapies for trauma. Um, so find a licensed counselor who knows that. And if you know that your fiance is getting that help, then trust that the counselor is doing the work and you don't need to be your, your fiance's counselor. What you yeah. do need to do is make sure your, your, your fiance is getting, dealing with this stuff before you get married, but you don't need to be the one who's the counselor. And you need to make sure that you have the information that you need. So like what we often recommend <laughs> is have a big conversation, have the conversation. Cause sometimes when someone discloses something to you, you don't actually get a chance to ask questions cause you're kind of sucker punched to the gut. Right. Right. Like you just kind of are in listening mode and you're mm -hmm. trying to absorb it. Mm -hmm. So, Sit down and have the conversation. Think mm -hmm. ahead of time. Write out questions. Honestly think about everything you need to know. Not want to know. Mm -hmm. Need to know. Mm -hmm. You do not need to know the specifics about a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. What you need to know is, are the kinds of things that would impact your marriage. You know, even just the severity of the abuse, the type of abuse I think is important mm -hmm. to know. And if there are any triggers or... It, but you can figure out what those questions are. And you have to give your partner permission to not answer those questions too, mm -hmm. if they don't want to. Mm -hmm. For one, let's be very clear about that. But after you have that conversation, once you have all the information that you need... The conversation is kind of over. Yeah. And if you ever want to bring it up again, I think it's fair to say you need to say ahead of time, I think there's still stuff we need to talk about with this. So I would like to have a conversation. Is that okay with you? Mm -hmm. And if they say, frankly, I don't have anything else to tell and I don't want to talk about it mm -hmm. and it isn't impacting you mm -hmm. and it isn't impacting your marriage and they are seeking professional help for it, I don't think that it's healthy for them to have to be your counselor either. Right. Like if you're trying to work through feelings about this, see a counselor yourself. Yep. And be very careful not to read every negative thing that your yeah. fiance or eventual husband or wife does through the lens of trauma. Because I'll tell you, uh, sexual abuse is not part of my story, Yeah. thankfully, but I can I can do really stupid things and I can be very touchy and insensitive and everything. And so just because someone is touchy or insensitive or abrupt with you, that's not necessarily because of the abuse. It could just be because they're a person. They're a human. <laughs> You know, they're a so, human. so just be wary of, of reading everything they do through that lens. If there, if there are things which are obviously from trauma that hasn't been dealt with, then please see a counselor about that. Now, the porn use is a, kind of a separate issue. My general stance is if you are going to marry someone, make sure that the porn use is in the past by and large. Yeah. I do know that every now and then people do slip up. Yeah. And just because someone slipped up, if they've had a really good trajectory, they're getting help, they're in recovery groups, they share their passwords, etc. Yeah, I'm not saying that you then need to say, okay, we, we don't, need to... Because of our culture yeah. and how readily available pornography is, you know, it's just not 
realistic to say you have to be perfect before mm-hmm. you get married. At mm-hmm. the same time, that is not a free pass to simply yeah. say, oh, well, I just made a mistake. I'm sorry. You still have to marry me. Right. What I think is important is to ask the questions, is this controlling your partner? Is this compulsive behavior that they can't mm-hmm. help? Are they secretive or defensive about their porn use? Or are they open and are they truly repentant where even if you were not in their life, they would mm-hmm. be trying to sort this out? Mm-hmm. And then also where are they currently in their journey? You know, I do think that, again, we're not aiming for absolute perfection, but if someone is still watching porn like five to seven times a week, like a month before your wedding... Don't do it. You need time to make sure that, you know, you're not bringing pornography into your marriage bed. Yes. They need to be able to show you that they're serious about this and that they have taken steps. Yeah. And... That likely means some kind of a recovery group or a group of friends that gets together and holds each other accountable or something. Yeah, or like internet filters or... Yeah, Covenant Eyes, you can get a month free. Use the code TLHV with Covenant Eyes to try it out. TLHV for To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. It doesn't cure anything. It just sets the stage so that you can start doing the work. And that's the important thing is, are they doing the work? And also remember too, that when people use porn, porn tends to become their coping mechanism for negative negative emotions. So when they're bored, when they're stressed, when they're worried, when they feel rejected, they turn to pornography instead of learning how to deal with boredom and stress. And then when you get married and they suddenly find themselves bored or stressed, they can start turning to porn again. Because, you know, the time leading up to the marriage, you're very rarely bored and you're often on a euphoria high. And so you don't always have the same stressors pushing you towards porn. And then once you do get married, the honeymoon phase is over and those things pop up again. Are they going to be able to deal with those negative emotions? Because people's emotional growth often stops at the point where they start some addictive behavior, whether it's pornography or alcohol or whatever it might be. Yeah, and remember, that's that's addictive behavior. Not everyone yes. who watches porn or has watched porn has addictive behavior. Yes. And that's what we're saying. It's like, if mm-hmm. there is addictive behavior, you need to deal with that. Yeah. If it's a bad habit mm-hmm. or a, an intermittent binge that they're like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. I regret that I ever did this and I have put things in place to make sure I don't do this. That's mm-hmm. a very different story. If it's a serious problem, never hurts to get some counseling because mm-hmm. there are usually emotional reasons yeah. they turn to pornography doesn't ever really hurt to get accountability and if they're pushing back on any of those things that's a red flag yeah and i would just say be really careful with this one seriously the number of women who write in who are married to guys who use porn that have yeah. relapsed over and over and over again and they've never gotten a hold of it it's just heartbreaking and it is wrecking so many marriages so i know you want to get married i know that you do. <laughs> yeah, I know that there are so many women who are engaged and they just want this, they love this guy. But in the end, in, in 20 years, in 30 years, when you look back at this time, if you take an extra five or six months mm-hmm. before you get married to wait to get this stuff sorted out, that five or six months is not going to matter. I know it seems like an eternity right now, yep. but trust me, it isn't going to matter. And if they're not willing to do that work to make sure that porn isn't part of their, of their marriage, then... I would seriously reconsider that. Yep. And five or six months of therapy might seem really expensive. Take it out of the wedding budget. Yeah, it's honestly worth it. It is worth it in gold. And, you know, maybe you're someone who you really do want to get married. You you do have a timeline. You've been with a guy forever and things just don't seem to be working. And he's got all of these issues. And you know he's a great guy. You're totally in love. Yeah. 
it's okay to walk away. Like it is okay yeah. to have a timeline. We've we've been saying, you know, don't rush into things, give them time. But some women have been giving guys a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> and it is okay to say, no, I do need to get married. And if you're not willing, then I will, I will walk away. Well, and the other thing too is if you just don't feel equipped to deal with mm-hmm. someone's like abuse or porn history or anything else, it's really easy to feel like the villain. And mm-hmm. if it's an issue of selfishness, Mm-hmm. then that's maybe valid. But a lot of times it might just be that you're not the right person for them. Yeah, because some people have huge, huge issues that are going to affect their parenting, that are going to affect yeah. the rest of their lives. And you need to ask God, if, are you really, the, are right you really the right person for this? You know, and if you are, you will be equipped. But if you're constantly feeling like this is not a good fit for you, this is not happening right, like you're constantly having to battle against yourself in order to be with this person... It also is okay to say, I love you and you're a wonderful person and I am not the person for you. Mm-hmm. And stop it before you've mm-hmm. spent mm-hmm. seven years together mm-hmm. or, you know, even yeah. before, after you're married and you realize this is too much for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people that we've seen in that situation yeah. too. Now that doesn't apply necessarily to our letter writer, no, but we're just trying to talk about all of the different issues. Because that's the thing. When people write in letters, we don't know all the information. Nope. And so... Sometimes our advice isn't even the right advice for that particular person, but we're just trying to deal with the issues on a broad basis. Exactly. And so, you know what? Take the time you need, deal with this stuff, but at the same time, you need to honor them as well. And if he doesn't want to talk about things, if he's dealing with those things, then don't just see them through those lenses. Okay, we get every week at least one or two people emailing us or Facebooking us asking us what we think about Emerson Egrich's series Mothers and Sons. Mm-hmm. He's written a or he and his wife wrote a book on how mothers can respect their sons and there's a video series that focus on the family is promoting and we're constantly getting people asking us to comment on this because we commented so much on love and respect. And for those of you who don't know what all the furor is about, we will put the links to that, as well as to the honeymoon prep course and everything else we talked about. Every, yeah, I think we have a post on should you marry someone who uses porn, etc. We will put all of those in the description to this podcast and the podcast post that goes along with this. So, so please check that out. Frankly, we don't want to write about mothers and sons. Love and respect hit us like a wrecking ball. And yeah. It took two years of our life. It felt like that scene from The Princess Bride, like, I've just sucked one year of your life away. <laughs> right? Like, it, it did because we read it and we were just thinking, oh my goodness, this is the best selling marriage book. And it doesn't even mention that women can like sex. Yes. Not even that, like, most of them do. Yes. But that women are even capable of liking no, sex. No, he has a need you don't have. And you an, need if to your husband do is it. typical. Yes. If, you're, if someone in your marriage is atypical, mm-hmm. then you have a need he doesn't. Yeah. Or you have a need. Yeah. If there's atypicality happening. Yeah. If there's atypicality, you have a need. And anyway, it's just bizarre. And and we won't we won't rehash no. that. But one of the, the big thing that we have a problem with with love and respect is that it sees everything in gender terms. And also, it doesn't actually know what respect means. Respect and love and respect does not mean treating one another as a valuable, worthy person who is made in the image of God. And it also doesn't mean uh, uh, respecting boundaries, which is basically what respect is, is is allowing another person to have their own feelings and opinions. No, what respect in the love and respect book means is making sure you don't bruise a man's ego. Yes. Frankly... She's not allowed to have an opinion, and if she does have an opinion, she can only say it in a specific way. Yeah, and he actually gives an example. If you're upset about a sinful behavior or something that's destructive that he's doing, you can say two to three sentences every 10 to 20 days, and you can't say anything else. And you have to say it in a certain tone of voice and a certain way. Like, it's it's, it's, it's just, it's really bad. 
And so we read this thing and we wrote a ton of critiques and now there's a course on how mothers can respect sons. Here's the problem, okay? The Bible calls children to respect their parents. Including their mothers. Not their fathers, their parents. Yeah, honor, honor your father, your father and, mother. and your mother. And it never ever says that parents should do that for kids. Now, we do think that parents should respect their children. Big thing you found in Why I Didn't Rebel as yep. well. Okay, so parents need to respect their children. But respect should go to both parents. And in Love and Respect, Emerson Egrich describes a situation where he and his sons are leaving candy wrappers on the floor. Right wet, beside the garbage right bin. Right beside the said. garbage bin. Wet towels on the bed and crumbs on the counter. And the the wife is trying to get everyone to clean up and they, they don't. And then she goes away for a week. When she comes back, she asks, did you miss me? And he said that they didn't miss her because they felt so much better without anyone nagging and the solution to that was she learned not to ask her son her sons to pick up candy wrappers off of the floor and wet towels off of the bed and i'm just gonna say like honestly like just what kind of husbands do you want your kids to be if they won't put garbage yeah. in the garbage can anyway so but, this is but but he undermined his son's respect of their mother. Exactly. It's just horrible. It's like, it's better that my sons don't have to put their trash away than that they have to actually listen and obey a woman. Yes. And and so just. we were absolutely flabbergasted by that. The whole presumption in this book is that sons need respect in a way that daughters don't. And sons need the mother to respect them. In a way that the, and the daughters don't need their fathers because, to because Because sons and males need to be propped up by the women in their lives. Which, by the way, and I, I'll say, love and respect is predicated on one verse in Ephesians. Yes. Where it says, husbands, you know, love your wives and wives, wives respect, respect your husbands. husbands. Right? It's, it's, it's not word for word. But that, it, it literally says, wives respect husbands love. And so from that, <laughs> he creates this whole new theology that it's women respect men and men love women, which mm -hmm. means mothers respect sons and fathers love daughters. But mm -hmm. that's not in the Bible. No. Like, it, there's no way you can twist it where mm -hmm. Ephesians 5.33 becomes about just gender in, in total. Yeah. And we have no problem teaching respect. We no. think respect is part of healthy relationships. Yeah. Children need respect, okay? Yeah. <laughs> We need to respect our kids' feelings. We need to allow them to express themselves. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there's not consequences to that. <laughs> no, and it doesn't but, mean that your form of respect means that you treat your boys different than your than your girls, as if boys deserve more respect mm -hmm, than girls mm -hmm. do. I'm sorry, but that's how you get sexually entitled men marrying women and becoming sexual pigs mm -hmm. and leaving towels on beds yeah. and leaving their garbage on the floor and saying, pick up after me, woman, because I don't love you when you nag me. Right. Which and is in essence or, what or, happened in Or another, another example in love and respect. Husband says to wife, you're getting fat. Wife says, yes, but could you please not watch porn and drink alcohol? And he says that's not fair of her to bring up. So, you know, it's okay for him to bring up the fact that she's gaining weight. It's not okay for her to bring up the fact that he's watching porn. Like, please, let's just stop with the gendered stuff and let's instead... Focus on Jesus, mm -hmm. okay? Let's all act like Jesus, follow Jesus, respect our kids, respect each other, love our kids, <laughs> love each other. And if we all do that, everything would be fine. So I guess 
we just don't want to read the book because we already like we, we just really don't want to read the book. We're so unimpressed and here's with the love thing. and respect. People might say it's unfair to critique a book if we haven't read it. Okay, mm-hmm. we're not critiquing Mother and Sons. We're critiquing Emerson Egrich's overall theology that is based yeah. in one verse and then completely construed so it becomes a, a blatant false teaching. It is just a blatant false teaching. Okay, yeah. so if Mothers and Sons has a healthy idea of what respect is and presents a healthy form of what love and respect can look like in relationships, then Emerson Egrich has no excuse for still having published love and respect. Yes. Because love and respect is completely unhealthy. So if he's able to write a healthy book, then there's even more pressure mm-hmm. for him to recant love and respect. Yes. So if we read Mothers and Sons mm-hmm. and it was great, that doesn't help Egrich one bit. No. Because if you know what's healthy, there's no excuse for presenting what is vile and dangerous and a lie. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more likely from the excerpts that I've seen that they're very similar. <laughs> um, but, again, I have not personally read it. I have not watched the video series. If they are healthy, then Emerson has literally no excuse. So, my way, there's yep. no reason for us to do this. And, hey, you know what? If you want some great tips on how to parent your sons, yep. uh, a book we firmly rec- recommend is Discipline That Connects With Your Child's Heart by yes. Connected Families. Great book. And if your kids are older, preteens, teenagers, check out Becca's Why I Didn't Rebel. It's My book's all... also good if you're younger, I will say. Yes. There's a lot of stuff where I talk about what parents did when kids were younger that led yes. to a good foundation, that led to a good friendship in yeah. the high school Becca's years. book is all about stories and yes. about principles. Discipline that connects a child's heart has all kinds of tips on, you know, specific things you can do. So I think they, they're great. And honestly, her book is such a fun read. But books that tell you how to keep the communication open, how to honor your children, your children's feelings and opinions, allow that to bloom, but in a healthy way. Because if you don't have that relationship with your kids, they are not going to adopt your value system. And I'm going to say too, that if you are reading something about parenting that teaches you that your sons are to be treated with a higher level of respect than Mm -hmm. your daughters, your daughters are also going to ask for less respect from the men in their lives than they give the men in their lives. Mm -hmm. And that is how we train girls to look for abusive men. It's by teaching them that men deserve more than you do simply because they are men. And so when a man tries to take more than he should, she's been primed to believe that her whole life, that because she's a woman, her job is to simply cater to the men because, well, that's what it is to be a good Christian. And that's sad. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessary. So let's just stop shoveling this drivel into our girls' heads. Mm -hmm. And instead, let's focus on discipline and parenting that is about you know, honoring the person that God made your child to be and treating all of us equally with respect honoring them, you know, calling out the blessings that God has put in their lives, but Mm -hmm. also gently correcting them so that, you Mm -hmm. know, our natural kind of selfish bends get put more towards where the spirit is working in your child's life, regardless of their gender. And here's the thing, again, when you're looking at kids, our focus is not on outward obedience and compliance. Your focus is on training them and changing their heart. And the only way you could do that is through healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about ordering them around. It's not about getting total compliance. It's about reaching their heart, which is the way God treats us. (laughs) And that's the way we should also be treating our children. And that's all we're going to say on that. So yeah. So that's our answer. If anyone wants to know about mothers and sons, there you go. 
Hi listeners of the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. Katie here, editor of the podcast and also youngest daughter of Sheila. Just coming on because there were some slight scheduling issues and my mother and sister forgot to film an outro, but we wanted to make sure you guys remembered to always check the descriptions to see links to anything that was mentioned in the podcast. And if you wouldn't mind and it wouldn't be too much trouble, we always appreciate it when you leave a five-star review just because it helps other people find this podcast as well. So from the whole To Love, Honor, and Vacuum team, thank you so much for listening to or watching this episode and we look forward to seeing you again next week.